I think oftentimes investors do a lot of the referencing on founders. However, very few founders actually do the referencing on investors. And I wish more founders would do that. Welcome back to 40 Minute Mentor, the podcast on a mission to raise aspirations and inspire the next generation of category-defining founders. From purpose-led entrepreneurs to Olympic champions, you'll learn firsthand from today's successful leaders on what it takes to be brilliant, all in just 40 minutes. As we come to the end of our VC feature series, I really hope that you've been enjoying all the insightful conversations that we've had over the last few weeks. Our last but certainly not least guest is Yvonne Bajella, partner at Local Globe and Latitude and venture partner at ImpactX Capital, where she was a founding member together with former 40-minute mentor Ezechi Britton. Yvonne's career began at the multinational investment bank Goldman Sachs before moving into VC. She's lived and worked in multiple countries, including Israel and Japan. She's invested over 200 million across Europe, the Middle East and Africa, backing some of the most transformative companies in tech, including the unicorn insurtech Marshmallow, and the OG fintech unicorn Wise. I am super excited to dive into Yvonne's career to date, hear about the work she's been doing at Local Globe and ImpactX, plus hear all about her passion for discovering underrepresented founders and investing in Africa. So Yvonne, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Very good. Thank you for having me. Pleasure is all mine. Well, we're going to dive straight in and get you warmed up with some quick fire questions. So please finish in the following sentences after me. My first ever investment was? Assuming this is venture investment, it was in an Israeli-based company called Fitech, which operates within the ag tech space. Nice, good stuff. And there'll be many more since, which you'll come on to talk about. Uh, second, the deal I am most proud of is? I would say it's Marshmallows, the UK-based in Shortex. Love it. We'll definitely talk a bit more about Marshmallow later as well. As AJ actually, um, he, he name-checked you when we were talking about that, when he came on the podcast and he was saying what an incredible investment it was. So uh, very rare you find those sorts of gems, isn't it? I wish I would have invested in. So I'm going to be cheeky and say a company that I did invest in, but I just wish I invested in earlier. As I'm, and that's a Flutterwave uh, Africa Fintech. Brilliant. Uh, thank you very much. And the hardest part of being in VC is? Oh, it's, it's saying no to founders. That is the consistent answer for this one. When you say no to, to candidates as well, it's a very similar feeling, especially if you, you like them and you really, you're excited by them. If it's just not quite right, it's always hard, isn't it? Final quickfire question. The one thing I would like to change about VC is? Um, I would love to see there being less herd behavior within the industry. Something shared probably by many, maybe not publicly. So I'm glad you said it because I think uh, FOMO, I'm sure, created a lot of very wealthy people, but it's also not the, always the best thing, is it? I feel like that's changing slightly in this market, for sure. Well, thank you, Ron. Great to have you on the podcast. And I'm super excited to learn more about your career. And I think it's always good to start at your background. So do you mind sharing with our listeners a bit about what life was like before VC and how you ended up in the industry. So I always like to share the story of my father who passed away uh, a few years ago. I say that he was probably like the most influential person when it came to my career and that I remember before I even knew what economics was, he's the one that, you know, really encouraged me to study it. Um, you know, when I was young, around the age of like seven, eight, nine, he would read the Financial Times with me, read The Economist with me. And so from a very early age, he kind of like opened my mind up to the world of financial markets, which 
many seven, eight-year-olds probably didn't get exposure to, right? And so when I would rather have been playing out, he would be like, come on, let's read markets. And never really understood at the time. I always thought it was a bit weird. But then when I got to my teenage years, I actually started to develop my own interest within it. And that led to me going on to study economics at university. One thing that it really instilled in me was the belief that, you know, you really can change the world from a financial perspective. We have the ability to do that. So when I graduated from university, the first role that I went into was at Goldman's, which was a great place to really start your career. Around that time, knew nothing about the world of BC, had no idea. I mean, obviously, you'd look at companies that had been venture-backed, but obviously at a much larger scale. So we didn't really have exposure to the whole venture ecosystem. Very early on, knew that I wanted to work more closely with companies. So I decided to make the jump, go into strategy consulting, despite my parents not being very happy with that choice to jump ship from what they always said was, this is the best investment bank. Why would you leave? You're going to climb up the ladder, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> and so, yeah, I went into work in strategy consulting, which I absolutely loved because I was working with large corporates, helping them, you know, really expand on their digital innovation and so on to companies such as De Beers Group, for example. 2013, I think it was, I, I took a trip to Ghana, which is where I'm from. By chance, I sat next to someone who was a venture capitalist. They were telling me about what they did on the plane journey. And when I went to Ghana, I was like, this is incredible. Like you're literally meeting with companies at the very early stages that have the ability to potentially change the world. And that really sparked my interest. I came back to London, you know, tried to pursue a career within the venture world and secured my first role at Mitsui, the Japanese investment conglomerate. Wow, what a story. Huge kudos to your dad for getting you to learn about the financial markets early. I think my dad tried and failed to get me to be interested in other things other than sport and failed miserably much to his frustration. What a great foresight and uh, clearly left a, an imprint and, and obviously you've had this incredible career off the back of it. If you think back to those first couple of months in VC, how different were your expectations compared to the reality that you found? Would there be anything that you would have loved to have known before making that move for anyone that might be in that situation right now? With many firms, as it was the case at Mitsu, you land on the job. There was no formal training, no one to say, okay, this is how we should assess investments. This is how you should go about it. And so I remember when I went about making my initial investments, obviously some very costly mistakes were made. <laughs> but you learn from your mistakes. Oftentimes I would base my decisions on the company, on the market. And what I've come to realize is it's the people because essentially like without the people there's no business right and that's where most of the focus should lie of course you want a company that's operating in a large enough market and market timing is so important and so on but ultimately the people are absolutely key and that's something that i didn't realize until much later on within my career that's really interesting thank you for sharing you mentioned missouri that's i guess it's a much larger institution but then you moved to a i guess at the time a much smaller uh, entrepreneurial outfit in Impact X as a founding member. So why at the time did you decide to take that entrepreneurial risk? And what were some of the hardest parts or the, the challenges that you found from going to a much smaller institution? Yeah, so interestingly, despite the fact that Mitsui is this really large Japanese corporation, the team that I was in only had three people. So I was operating in a very small team, um, just as part of a wider organisation. So from that perspective, it wasn't too dissimilar. I guess during my time at Mitsui, I just realized obviously Brexit occurred, there was conversations around whether they should relocate the headquarters to Germany. And it just felt like the right time to leave. During that time, I'd met Eric Collins, CEO of ImpactX, and we were having a number of conversations around 
the disparity in funding to underrepresented entrepreneurs and obviously the statistics are very well known and what we could do to really move the needle. And that's how Impatex essentially came about. And so it was essentially a, a quite small team, myself, Azechi, Paula, Eric. I guess like being in such a close-knit team, everyone just has a hand in doing everything, right? And so I loved that particular aspect. It was quite scrappy. Pretty much, you know, I was employee number one, to building up from, from the ground up, putting in place all the infrastructure and so on. So it was an incredible experience, really enjoyed it. And, you know, it was great working alongside the people that I, I got to work with. Yeah, such a high quality team. And I guess in a way you, you may have even garnered even more credibility with the founders you're investing in because you were effectively building a business at the same time alongside uh, making those investment decisions, which is, uh, I guess, a unique gig. There are going to be people listening to this that will have heard as on the podcast and hopefully are familiar with the great work that ImpactX has been doing over the last few years. But for anyone that's that's a newer listener. Do you mind sharing a bit more about that founding story and, and some of the investments that's, that you've made? Because I know, you know, it's had a really significant impact. Yeah, Marshmallow being one of the investments I made um, during my time at Backtax. And I did a bit of a deep dive on the short tech sector and then came across Marshmallow. I think they had announced that they were launching. I thought it was really interesting. They were obviously focusing on migrants and immigrants at the time. And I thought, okay, there's a real niche there. And interestingly, with the insurance sector, such a massive sector that's generating so much cash. However, migrants and immigrants are overlooked from the perspective of if you move to this country from another country, you actually don't have that historical data and your credit files. That just means they automatically price you higher. So there's a massive pricing differential. And so I saw a massive opportunity to have like a company build out a pricing engine, which really accounts for that international data. Um, and that's exactly what they set out to do. I just feel that the reason why I got really excited by them when I met the two twin founders, Oliver and Alexander, was the fact that they were so clear in their mind around what the future of insurance should look like. They were so clear around the opportunity, what they needed to do, the people they needed to bring around the table. And they just executed. They just got on with it and they did it very well. And so that's one that I'm really, really proud of. What they've managed to achieve is just incredible. It really is one of the great success stories of the last few years in the, the UK taxi. And you mentioned that they had this big vision that you really bought into and, and they were able to execute it. Was there anything else that really stood out to you about them in the pitch process, whether it's the proposal or the pitch deck or the actual you know, meeting subsequently? What makes them such unicorn founders? Is there anything there for anyone listening that's going through this process now that can maybe take some tips about to how to really have that impact? Yeah, it's almost like the ability for them to visualize what a future should look like and almost like an obsessive passion to solve the problem that they're trying to solve for. Almost like a frustration. You like, you speak to founders that are solving a problem, and like they're just so passionate about solving this problem that it almost like ignites anger in them that the world exists as it exists today, and they just are so driven to change that. So that's definitely one thing that I spotted in them, and also the ability to just bring about a great team. So when I met them, they were relatively young, and they managed to bring on board veterans within the insurance industry. And I think as a CEO, the ability to bring on board and hire the best people is absolutely essential. And they were able to demonstrate that. And that's exactly what they did. And they've continued to do that throughout their journey. So I think those two things, the ability to really like visualize a future, have real clarity around that, but not be so fixated in how you get there. So the ability to also be flexible is absolutely key. That's such good advice, Sivan. Thank you so much for sharing. And uh, naturally, given our day jobs, I'm... Um... 
particularly uh, aligned to that hiring top talent being critical to success because you can have the best idea but if you can't hire in top talent to kind of help execute it it's pretty irrelevant isn't it and that is such a underrated quality in a leader about how to attract how to retain how to inspire great talent and times do get tough and in those tough times do you have the ability to inspire people to stick with you on that on that journey and build out the vision it's it's so essential so true and i think in this market particularly you're really seeing that probably the good from the great here that those that were able to build and hire and attract and the talent in the boom times and those in a harder market are you still able to keep people on board and you know excited by the challenge but reframe it as an opportunity and uh, we're seeing some founders do that unbelievably well at the moment but i think there are others that are struggling because it's something they haven't done before and i guess that's sometimes where you might need some extra help we've got to come on to talk about a local globe which is obviously a hugely prestigious vc firm it really is one of the if not the first major VC firm in the UK, it's got such a strong reputation. So do you mind sharing a little bit about Local Globe's philosophy and its breakout fund latitude? We now have four vehicles, Local Globe being the, the flagship one. Um, then there's Latitude, which is uh, focused on Series V plus investments. And we also have Solar, which is pre-IPO companies, essentially. We also have a fund of fund vehicle. In terms of Latitude, I'd say that probably around 70% of companies that we do invest in at that stage are companies that we have already backed at Local Globe. So it enables us to invest across the life cycle of um, companies that we do back super early. And I guess one of the reasons why that fund was created was we realized that we were investing in all these incredible companies and some of them turn out to do incredibly well. And when they do, we want to also continue to back them. And so Latitude enables us to do exactly that. Love it. I think Local Globe's got a really well-known reputation for being very hands-on as investors, which I guess in principle sounds really great. But for those of us listening, go, but what does that actually mean? Do you mind sharing in practice what that uh, sort of translates to for founders that are actually working with you? I always say that the best thing to do for founders that want to understand how we work is speak to founders that we have already invested in. That, that would definitely be your best best reference point. And I, and I advise every founder to do that. If you are looking to get into a relationship with an investor, this is going to be like potentially a 10-year journey. And you want to ensure that you are aligned. You know, they say that the typical founder investor relationships last longer than typical marriage. And so in terms of our approach, one of the things we're very well known for is at the local globe level, is helping companies get that best Series A. So we have a really good relationship with Series A funds and so on. I would say that network, it really depends on the business. I think every business will have its own requirements for support. And so we really do try to support where we can. And what would you say makes or breaks that VC founder relationship? How can founders really make the most of that partnership and get the best out of their investors? I think it's just really important that you like who you're bringing on board as an investor. I think oftentimes investors do a lot of the referencing on founders. However, very few founders actually do the referencing on investors. And I wish more founders would do that. I think it's it's absolutely key to know exactly who you're going to work with. And not just, you know, companies that have done well, but also those that haven't done well, because when times do get tough, how are they going to respond? I think that's that's something that's really important to take into account. I would say that a great way to do that is just speak to founders that they have already backed. I think where I've seen it break down is where there's misalignment. I think that as a fund, we are very much people first. It's all about the people because at the end of the day, without the people, there's no business, right? 
And so we place a huge emphasis on the, on the teams that we back and seeing how we can support them and ensuring that there's that alignment um, and relationship up front. It's, it's so true. I know that you're incredibly passionate about tech innovation, but particularly through investing in female founders. So do you mind sharing a bit more about any particular companies or sectors that you're really excited about at the moment? And what do you personally look for when you're assessing founders who are, who are reaching out to you? Yeah, I tend to like the things that are sometimes considered unsexy. So one of my recent investments was in a company called Jumba, which is essentially a B2B marketplace for the construction sector. For me, construction is, you know, so fundamental to the global economy. And we haven't seen that much innovation when it comes to the sector. I believe that there's a number of industries that still are yet to be fully innovated. And construction is just one of those. In terms of what I look for, as I mentioned earlier, it's really about the people, essentially. That's like the first thing that I look for. And a few characteristics that I look for is just that clarity around vision in the entrepreneurs that, that I'm going to back. Do they almost like see the world of their product or service, have that clarity around what the world should look like if they're able to execute on that? Again, ability to bring around people that are aligned with the vision and great people at that. And also, I always say that you know, as a, as a founder, you need to have those great sales skills because not only are you trying to bring on board a great team, you're trying to like bring on board investors, you're, you're trying to bring on board customers. It's a constant, almost like sell yourself. Um, and so having that that ability to do that is, is really, really important. Yeah, it's so true. I think a lot of the founders that have come on this podcast who are done incredibly well have just had this incredible vision and ability to translate that vision in a way that's so compelling and so enticing. And you can easily see how they got that first check and how they're able to trap that top CTO or, or whatever it is. And I think it, it, a lot of it comes down. It's not always extroverts. It's sometimes introverts, but just the clarity of vision, as you say, I think is is such a good point. On the flip side, and in the spirit of wanting to help anyone that's going through this process at the moment, are there any uh, mistakes you see your founders making often? And I think particularly given that we really part of this podcast series is all about making the world of VC and investing more accessible. So for any underrepresented founders that are listening to this is there anything that particularly for them that you've noticed that would be helpful to kind of shine a light on to help them sort of nail that pitch and get that investment one mistake that i see being made is just focusing so much on raising capital and not as much value placed on demonstrating the value that you're trying to create if you can be very clear in articulating what you're trying to do why the world needs it and why you're the best person to work on it the money will follow and i think that you know, just placing so much emphasis on the the money alone can actually be to a disservice. The other thing I would say is most companies fail because they run out of cash. And so just being very clear on if you are raising cash or you, you have a raised cash, be very clear around where you want that cash to take you. Are there certain milestones that you want to achieve with that? So that when you do go to raise your next round, you're very clear in like how you articulate what you've achieved, what you're raising for. And the other thing is bring on board great people. I see a lot of entrepreneurs that bring on board people that aren't necessarily the best fit for the role or they don't necessarily bring the best things to the table. And I think sometimes it takes longer to bring on board great people and it's very hard. Hiring is one of the hardest things to do, as I'm sure you know. Just ensuring that you take that time to ensure that you're bringing on board the best of the best. 100%. I think that's where we always say it's worth the time. It's worth the investment. It's the worth running a proper rigorous search and I think but what's great now is that the talent market is changing and we now have offerings which where you can hire a really super high quality executive 
part-time basis on a fractional basis for one or two days a week and that might give you the quality you need at a much more cost-effective way but get you further along the the journey if you were to hire an up-and-comer that's maybe going to take a, a need a lot more support so i think there's there's lots of ways to do it now given what's at stake it, it's often worth either taking time running a, a search properly or moving fast and using more creative uh, ways to get in high quality people all your advice is i know is just going to be super helpful for everyone listening to hone in a bit more on topic of female founders and, and underrepresented founders who we know listen to this podcast and we, we've heard time and time again sadly here and just in the wider industry about their fundraising experience is very different to their male counterparts particularly white male founders you know we've had andy davis on the podcast who spoke about the black report we've had Chuck Warner talking about you know all the great work that Diversity VC is doing, but and we know it's come a long way in many ways from maybe where it was a few years ago. But there's still a lot of work to be done when it comes to leveling the playing field. So I wanted to get your own experience, given all the years you've worked in VC, about this, and what do you think needs to happen for us to sort of further close that gap? At ImpactX, very much focused on underrepresented entrepreneurs. I think ultimately what we need is more people from unrepresented diverse backgrounds in decision-making roles because it's very well known data shows that people are more likely to invest in people that they resonate with more that potentially come from a similar background to them so that's one of the biggest ways I believe that we can really see a shift in the numbers we are starting to see that but like you said there's still a long way to go I think it was back in 2019 Andy Davis obviously runs 10x10BC so that's all the black VCs in London we came together and there was 15 of us in a cafe in London. And that was pretty much like all the black VCs in London. Fast forward to today, we now have a group and that's over 100 people. So it shows the progress that has been made. But like you said, still a lot of work to be done. You know, it's great to see like the up and coming talent. I believe that, you know, it will continue to improve. This is why it's so good to see the success you've had and having Andy on the podcast as well. It's so inspiring for others to have that aspiration to get into VC, to see your success. I'm hoping from us talking about this more on the podcast and showing that this is a career for everyone. I hope we'll get lots more people to follow in your footsteps. Certainly so rewarding. And I think the chance to build incredible companies and invest in underrepresented founders and new markets that haven't been tapped before is just an unbelievable opportunity. Looking more broadly, um, it's obviously been a, a turbulent few years, let's say, for founders. We've navigated COVID. We've now got an economic downturn. Poor founders. I, I do feel for anyone out there in the market, it doesn't really stop, but it certainly builds a lot of great resilience. How have you supported your portfolio through these tricky times? And what sort of advice have you been giving them, uh, particularly anyone that's going through this cycle for the first time? I guess key advice is, is just, you know, raise or slightly longer. I think in the past, we've seen a lot of entrepreneurs raise for, say, 12 months. And now we're just saying, if you can raise for a longer period of time to ensure that by the time you get to that next round, where it'll be series A, then you are in a really good position or you give yourself enough time to actually demonstrate that traction in order to actually progress to that next round. In terms of how we've been supporting, I think it's just continuing to, to support as we do in terms of helping companies really think through what does the next round look like or how can we support with business development? Are there any introductions we can make uh, it, can we help with hiring? Again, it really depends on on the need of the company. Some of the companies we investing, they already have a, a full team. Some don't. So that's where, you know, can we step in and help with hiring? It really, whether it's like strategic help that they require, thinking through like regulatory, we can bring 
on board some of our fellows that have expertise in that space. It really, really just depends on the need of the company at any particular time. Specifically relating to, you know, some of the the challenges we face, particularly around COVID and so on. It's really just about, again, the need of the company. So if additional funding is required, how can we support in getting that to happen? How can we support with the narrative around fundraising? If it's the team needs to cut down and make cuts, how do we support with the communications and and articulate that, help them with the articulation of that and ensure that it doesn't impact the team's morale. There's been a lot of different unique cases, but again, it just depends on the need. Every company has been impacted so differently. Companies that are in local globes portfolio are lucky to have such a breadth of resources and incredible talent around them to help. Most uh, situations you'll come across, there'll be somebody that, that has been there and done it and can add value, which is super reassuring what we've seen is having a strong board in place can also make a big difference between success and failure and be uh, really important for founders when would you say is the right time to create a board of non-execs and as a founder how do you ensure that you then get the most out of that board yeah so typically we don't take board seats when we invest at say pre-seed or seed stage um what we have is, is something what we call board light where we'll very much almost like follow the structure of a, of a board meeting. However, the, the government is more appropriate for the stage of the company. Obviously, some businesses such as Marshmallow, highly regulated industry, they had a board way before they raised their Series A round. And that was really important because they needed to bring on board the incumbent insurance expertise onto the team and so on. I think that the right time to have a board is if, like if you're in a heavily regulated industry, then you want to think about bringing on board a board sooner rather than later. When we think about boards, one thing that I think can really help in terms of the formation of a board is having non-execs as well. I think within the venture world, you can get a lot of boards where they tend to be just made up of investors. And I think sometimes just bringing on board independent non-execs can add a lot of value. I've seen this work on, on a number of boards and proves to be really, really effective. In terms of getting the most out of your board, you know, some of the greatest boards I've seen is coming together to really discuss strategic priorities, right? So bringing on board people that do have that expertise within different sectors. And that's, and that's why the, the independent non-execs could be really valuable because they could really bring that real depth of knowledge. Of course, investors do, but I think having independence I've seen to be really valuable. And just using those board meetings to have those strategic discussions I think you want to make the assumption that most board meeting materials have been read. In the meetings, it's time to come together and really just discuss some of those priorities. Yeah, great advice. We're actually running a search at the moment for a really exciting purpose-driven Series A company for an independent non-exec. And uh, you can really see how critical it is to be that counterbalance between investors and the founders and provide the governance, yes, but also that kind of coaching and support that founders need is particularly if you're a first-time founder. So that's great advice. And I, I thoroughly encourage anyone that, that hasn't thought about this already in their startups to start kind of putting in place that structure because I think it's particularly useful in, in harder times. Before we get to our wrap-up questions, Yvonne, I just wanted to touch upon your own experience of becoming a mother recently. Firstly, many congratulations. I know that that happened and then you joined Local Globe fairly soon after. So a kind of whirlwind for you lots going on. How have you found this new chapter in your life and how have you been juggling a new role with motherhood? How's that going? So it's definitely an adjustment in terms of 
I'm no longer just responsible for myself. It's the whole human being. <laughs> but no, it's, it's it's such a blessing. And for me, I'm just very fortunate to have joined a team that a lot of people within the team do already have families. And so that, that real understanding of if I need to, for example, leave early to go to the nursery run, that is um, completely acceptable. I'm very fortunate to have joined a team that is, is really supportive of that. In terms of the impact it's had on me, I think it's definitely made me a lot more conscious. Like, I wouldn't call myself an impact investor because I believe that every investment I make should ultimately have a net positive impact on society. That's something that I've always believed in. But I do believe that it's made me a lot more conscious in terms of when I'm making investments, what's the potential impact on this, the world centuries later? It's 100% made me think more about that. That's great. And I think it's funny, isn't it? My daughter's seven and uh, it totally changes your perspectives. On the, I guess life in many ways stays the same, but then there are just certain decisions you make or certain things when it comes to work that change often for the better. And I was very lucky that, you know, for me personally, COVID was a real blessing in a way because it sort of slapped me around the face. Say, I don't need to go into London every single day and I, I can do bedtimes and the world's not going to stop if I am do the school runs two or three times a week. And it's just, I've absolutely loved that change. So I'm glad all is going well. I think there are going to probably be people listening to this who are are seen to be mothers or maybe, uh, you know, just returning to work in demanding roles, whether it's in BC or, or as an operator or founder in startups. So do you have any advice from your own experiences that you'd like to pass on or anything that, that you'd have liked to have been told when you were returning to work? Mum girl is completely normal. <laughs> it's, it's a feeling that, you know, I share with many mothers that I speak to and it definitely resonates with them. I'd say that in terms of piece of advice, find your mummy tribe. And so, so fortunate to have a group of friends that are also mothers. And, you know, when I had my son, they would always advise me and say, look, Yvonne, like do this or do that. Or, you know, it's okay to have this one night out. And, and they were just very reassuring. So they definitely made that adjustment for me a lot easier. And I think it's really, really important. There's so many mothers within the industry and just find individuals that have already gotten on that journey. It could be really, really helpful. Great advice. Um, Yvonne, thank you so much. It's been such a joy. I'm gonna, we're going to get to our final wrap-up questions. In one sentence, what do you think the future holds for Local Globe? Yeah, I think for us, we are going to continue to back surfers. We invest in people, people that are changing the world and, and will continue to do so. Love it. And what is the best piece of advice that you can give to founders that are currently found? Be very clear around what you think you can achieve with your funding, building a buffer. Don't be so sensitive to pricing today. I think that a lot of down rounds are happening in this environment and they're not to be frowned upon. I always share the examples of Google and Facebook that have had down rounds, but they got went on to, to build these incredibly valuable businesses. And so don't be disheartened if you have to have a down round today. The important thing is to get that money to enable you to continue. Great advice. And finally, you are on Fortuna Mentor. So I've got to ask if you could be mentored by anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? I would say Don Valentine, so the founder of Sequoia. So I just finished rereading The Power Law by Sebastian Malby. Great book for anyone that's interested in the venture space. You know, it just speaks to how he started Sequoia, companies that he's backed, such as Cisco, how he was like really hands-on. A lot of people call him the grandfather of Silicon Valley. So I think it'd be awesome to, to have him be a mentor. That's an amazing one. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us and wrapping up this uh, special VC Future series. I can't think of a better person to, to end the series with tons of mentorship and advice for our listeners. So Thank you and uh, really look forward to meeting you in person soon and hearing all about the other amazing investments that you'll uh, no doubt go on to make this year. Thank you for having me. 
What a way to finish this series. Yvonne is an absolute trailblazer. And I'm so flattered that she agreed to come on the podcast. We're now at the end of our VC feature. I'd love to hear what you thought of this series, your suggestions on how we can make 40 Minute Mental even better, and what your personal highlights from the series have been. Simply leave a review on ratethispodcast.com forward slash 40mm or on your favorite podcast platform. You can also reach out to our producer Hannah as well on hannah at jbmc.co.uk. We would love to hear from you. Thank you again for all your support and for listening. And I hope we'll see you again as we kick off a new mentorship feature series. More on that next week. See you then.